The information provided in this podcast is for general purposes only. Individual legal situations vary greatly, and viewers needing individual legal advice should consult directly with an attorney. Eligible ATPE members may contact the ATPE Member Legal Services Department. Hello, and welcome to the ATPE Podcast, brought to you by the Association of Texas Professional Educators and covering the hottest topics on Texas educators' minds today. Hello, and welcome to the ATPE Podcast. My name is David George, and I serve as the editor for ATPE News Magazine. Today, we're going to be discussing new legislation regarding the physical restraint of students. And we have two very special guests today to provide both the legal ramifications and how the legislature is handling the issue. We'd like to welcome back a couple of gentlemen to the podcast, Lance Kane, Managing Attorney for ATPE Member Legal Services Department, and ATPE Government Relations Director Monty Exter. Monty and Lance, thanks for being here. Well, thank you. It's good to be back in the uh, ATPE podcast booth. In June, the Texas legislature passed Senate Bill 133. Uh, This new law prohibits the physical restraint or use of chemical irritants or tasers on certain public school students by peace officers and school security personnel under certain circumstances. Lance, what exactly are we referring to when we use the phrase physical restraint in this context? Yeah, context is very important because there are many different ways that an educator can come into contact with a student. Um, In this situation, we're talking about emergency situations where physical interaction is really the last resort. Um, These are not sort of everyday situations where you're guiding a student down the hallway by holding their hand or or even, you know, reaching out in a sort of a brief emergency situation to keep them from running into the street. Um, We're also not talking about the 9.62 justification where a teacher has uh, the ability to use reasonable physical force to redirect students or to maintain discipline in a group. Um, that's the topic for a whole nother podcast. Um, these are really emergency situations um, and uh, they, they do not include corporal punishment. How does the Texas Education Code define the lawful use of restraint in schools? Um, restraint is defined as physical force or some kind of mechanical device that uh, significantly restricts the student's um, movement into all or a portion of their body. Um, It really can only be used in an emergency, and that's defined as a situation where there is an imminent, serious uh, threat of physical harm to the student or other students, or an imminent, serious uh, threat of property destruction. Um, There are also some limitations on restraints. Um, They can only be used sort of to the extent necessary to uh, extinguish the threat. Um, also, the, the amount of force has to be reasonable, so you can't use too much um, force. And, and then it has to be stopped when the threat uh, no longer is imminent. Um, also, it has to be used in a way that um, really kind of uh, safeguards the um, other students and, and that student. Uh, and finally, you can't deprive the student of basic human necessities. So you can't you know, do it, uh, limit their breathing or anything like that. Are there training requirements? Uh, relating to the use of physical restraints? Yeah, the training is a very important part um, because it will teach the educator not only what proper restraints to use, um, the techniques to use, but also um, de-escalation techniques. Um, so hopefully a restraint can be avoided in the, in the you know, first place. Um, a core team on each campus is supposed to be trained. Uh, that includes an administrator and then also anyone who might be sort of reasonably anticipated to have to use a restraint. 
Um, any kind of personnel that has to use a restraint but did not receive the training, they have to get the training within 30 school days after that. Um, and then, like I said, the training teaches de-escalation uh, techniques and prevention techniques. So to um, create situations where you might not have to use a restraint at all. Are there any age limitations for the use of physical restraint? Mostly no. For, for most uh, educators and, and campus personnel, um, as long as the conditions exist, so there's an emergency situation, a restraint can be used regardless of the student's age. Um, the new legislation um, that, that Monty will talk about uh, puts in place laws that uh, sort of limit peace officers and then school security personnel from using physical restraints if the student is under 10 years of age. But there's actually a pretty big exception to that. Um, and the, the law's new, so we'll see how this plays out. But the exception actually allows those peace officers and school security personnel to use a restraint if the student poses a serious risk to themselves or others. So looking back at the definition of emergency, that's, that's pretty similar. What are the legal requirements for Texas school districts reporting the use of restraint in their schools? So anytime there's a restraint, uh, the district has to notify the parents in writing. Uh, the notification has to be pretty detailed. Uh, we're talking about the name of the person who performed the restraint, the behavior that led up to the restraint, um, the time the restraint started, the time the restraint ended, the location, um, really any detail that would give the parent information about the restraint um, to allow them to kind of assess the situation. Um, the, the data uh, involving the restraint must also be reported to TEA. And, um, and so I think that's why TEA has pretty good records of, of these types of things. Are there any special requirements for the use of restraint with special education students or students with disabilities? Yeah, that, that's a very good question. And I'll uh, throw a little statistic at you. From 2018 to 2022, 91% of all restraints on younger students, so that's students that are in fourth grade or younger, 91% uh, of those were performed on students that were getting some kind of special education services. Um, and that's despite the fact that those students make up less than 10% of the population. So even though the law itself does not really, it's not exclusive to special ed students, that's largely how school districts um, utilize them. Uh, and so from a teacher's per perspective, the main things to look at are the students' um, special ed records and then their documentation. So the individualized education plan or the IEP. And then if a student has a behavior intervention plan or a BIP, those documents might provide guidance on the types of restraints that should be used, uh, maybe the types of restraints that shouldn't be used, and then also maybe particular uh, de-escalation techniques that might work on that student. Where can educators find specific procedures for the lawful use of restraint in their classroom? If you have had the training, um, that's going to probably be your best resource. Uh, so you can you know, remember the training that you had. If you have materials from the training, you can refer to those as a refresher. If you haven't had the training, but you are a teacher that might be required to perform a restraint at some point, it might be a good idea for you to get in touch with your administration because that might put you into the category of being on that core team that, that needs to be trained. Um, other documentation uh, that might be important to, to, um, to look over are, of course, the students' uh, educational records. If they're a special ed student, the, the IEP and the BIP. Um, district policies are also um, a good resource to look at. 
because they might have limitations on what type of uh, restraints that they do and do not want you to use. It might also have procedures on what to do in the case of a restraint, you know, clearing the room of other students, or there might be a particular administrator that they want you to call. Um, so district policies are definitely a good resource. Um, teachers can also look at their uh, regional education service center. Um, they can provide training and then they might have resources available as well. Let me toss this over to you, Monty. How did the legislature handle the issue of restraint during the last regular session? So I think to answer that question, it's, it's really good to look at a little bit of the background on the issue, um, less from necessarily a legal perspective and more from uh, who are the advocates around the particular issue. Uh, so dealing with restraint at the legislature is not new. Uh, it has come up for several sessions in a row. Uh, and largely, as Lance sort of alluded to, it has become a, an issue that is brought up by the special education community, um, primarily uh, parents of special education students um, who really are looking to limit the ability to use restraint in some instances just at all. Um, so restraint is by and large not something that either a parent or an educator is looking to do. It is not the optimal situation. Uh, however, we don't always deal with optimal situations in school settings. And so it has been our position, the position of folks like TCASE, who represents uh, special education coordinators, that uh, the ability to use a restraint when necessary is an important tool in an educator's toolkit. Um, the simple truth is, is that there are not an insignificant number of parents of particularly special education students who simply disagree with that uh, and think that it is never an acceptable situation uh, to use a restraint. And unfortunately, restraints do tend to be very physical. Uh, and because of that, as compared to other things that are going on in public schools, uh, there's more of a track record of injury associated with restraint. And not just of the students. I mean, oftentimes it's actually uh, the educator that gets injured. You know, when you have a, a five foot to, you know, 120 pound teacher who's trying to restrain a, you know, six foot three, 220 pound student, which happens in high schools, um, then oftentimes it, it may be the teacher actually that's injured. But regardless of that, it's that record of injury that sort of has created an emotional scenario around this issue. And so what we've seen are bills that are filed uh, and being pushed by some advocates to, again, just disallow restraint altogether. And we saw those again uh, in this last session. Uh, and actually, I think it's really interesting in the bill that, that did pass it was aimed right at primarily police officers and a smaller cohort uh, of educators. And the interesting thing, I think, or an interesting thing is that it had some different definitions in it um, than what are currently in law. And it was pretty clear when dealing with the bill author that with regard to police officers, they actually weren't talking about the same kind of restraint that we're talking about today. They were literally talking about handcuffing students. That's what they meant by restraint as that bill was filed. However, the bill really got usurped by the special education uh, parental community 
and became a bill about this kind of restraint, or at least the conversation became a conversation about this. Now we'll say whether it was amendments to this bill or other bills that were filed separately, we actually opposed the outright banning of restraint. Um, while it's not optimal, as I said, it is a necessary tool in the toolkit sometimes, uh, and we were successful at that. Um, but I, I don't think that the issue was adequately addressed by the folks that were looking to outright restrain uh, or outright banned restraint of students. Um, and so some of the things that we've talked about uh, are issues that will probably come back up and issues that are important to, to consider to think about. So how do you anticipate the legislature handling this issue moving forward? Absolutely. So I, as I said, I do think that it's not an issue that's going away uh, in terms of legislative proposals. Um, who knows whether or not we'll have any legislative action, but in, in terms of proposals, um, I anticipate that outright bans will probably be reintroduced. Um, I think it's really important for, on this issue in particular, for educators, whether they're special education uh, teachers, coordinators, or just your you know standard teacher, um, to really do a thoughtful job of interacting with their uh, legislator or with the legislators who are discussing these issues in particular um, when they come back up, because there is, I think, a pretty general lack of understanding about what restraint is, why restraint is necessary sometimes, um, and how to improve the situation. Um, because again, the conversation oftentimes devolves into, well, we need this tool versus no, we need to have none of it ever. Um, and that's not necessarily the most productive place to be. So for example, training was brought up earlier. Um, we have a lot of very new educators. Uh, we have a lot of people who haven't been in the classroom a long time, and that is an accelerating trend. And so having proper training around some of these very physical techniques um, is important. Uh, it can help prevent injury both of the students and of the educators themselves. Uh, more important probably even to the training is ensuring that we have proper staffing levels. Uh, a lot of these situations could potentially be avoided or at least carried out in a more safe manner um, if we had more adults per kids uh, in our classrooms, particularly in the situation where you're talking about special education kids, uh, you know, trying to um, deal with too many kids at one point in time, particularly for an inexperienced educator is a recipe uh, for things escalating beyond the point where they can be de-escalated uh, with simple conversations. And so that's certainly one thing to look at. Um, and then again, I think it's going to require uh, teachers to really get involved in terms of explaining to legislators why it is necessary for them to have this ability and how this ability, even though it has some inherent risk, is safer than not having it at all um, whenever it comes back up. And as we continue to have those conversations, we will work both to support the rights of educators uh, to have a safe environment, which includes being able to utilize these techniques, 
And we will also continue to try to work with um, groups of folks who are concerned and, and wanting, rightfully so, for their students to be safer uh, in public school systems and ensuring that we can come to the table together to try to bring solutions that benefit everyone as opposed to simply gridlock up at the Capitol. Lance, is there anything else educators need to know? Yeah, I would echo some of what Monty said, um, because a lot of it is a combination of these factors with the staffing and with newer educators coming into um, the fold. And, and also a big part of it is um, coming back from a summer break, uh, a lot of uh, behaviors have sort of regressed. So there can be a time period where the teachers are sort of learning the, the students and, and learning how to deal with them and learning to de-escalate situations. So that that will hopefully get better as the year progresses. Um, but yeah, th this is not something that an educator you know wants to do when they go to school. They, they do not want to have to be in a situation where they put a teacher in a physical restraint. So you know, focus on the training, any resources available, uh, be in touch with your administration and, and really be familiar with those student special ed documentation or documents. Uh, um, so you are familiar with any particular aspects of that particular student that might you might need to pay attention to. Well, thank you, Monty and Lance, both of you uh, for joining us and so eloquently explaining all this information to us today. As always, if you have any questions or feedback, you can send those to com at atpe.org. That's C-O-M-M -M at atpe.org. And we encourage you to subscribe to the podcast as well as leave us a review. Thanks again for being here. And we'll see you next time on the ATPE podcast. Thanks for listening to the ATPE podcast. For more information about becoming part of Texas's largest community of educators, please visit atpe.org.